Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Revelation, you ready? Here we go. It's an intense one tonight. All right, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to help us navigate the first four bowls, that you would give us grace to understand and have these things locked into our understanding so that as we read through Revelation, as we study the end times, that we would have a good grasp of what's going on with these bowls of wrath in Jesus' name. Book of Revelation, the first four bowls. Now there are seven bowls of wrath, but there's way too much information about them to do all that in one session, at least in my opinion, for the sake of the study that we're doing. And so uh, we're going to spend a few uh, sessions on these bowls, but we will get four of them done tonight. And one of the reasons that we are able to get four done, and I'll just tell you, we're not going to be able to continue that pace. There's only seven anyway. But one of the reasons we're going to slow down after this, these four have some similarities. They kind of follow a similar pace. There's a, there are a few things about these bowls that, I mean, each one of them is different from one another, but there are some things that are kind of uh, similar and there's a bit of a rhythm to them. And then when you get on to the fifth, sixth, and seventh bowls, things shift quite a bit. <clears throat> and so for, uh, to try to get uh, as many of them together as you can, you want to lump together the first four bowls. One thing that we talked about in a previous session was we, we talked about the first four seals. Remember there's seven seal judgments. The first four seals kind of go together. And the first four trumpets kind of go together. So it's just kind of fun that the Lord did that. He's into numbers. He's into patterns. He just does that. And then a lot of times, just when you think you've got the pattern figured out, he's also into spontaneity. And then things change. So not in the word, but in, very often in our lives. Okay, well, we're going to jump in. I want to talk about the impact of the first four bowls, and I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit uh, before we jump into bowl one, uh, because I want uh, to kind of get a little bit of the context and see what's going on here. So first, uh, Revelation 16, 1, and, and uh, the book of Revelation chapter 16 is where we get the details of the bowls of wrath. So if you're kind of marching through the book of Revelation, chapter 16 is where we actually get bowl 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, okay? And here we are uh, in, in fact, actually just struck me, uh, the seals uh, take up two chapters and actually arguably three. And uh, the, the trumpets take up two chapters, arguably three, but the bulls all happen in one chapter. So just for, their, for the sake of brevity, uh, the bulls are a little bit easier to find. <clears throat> okay. Um, so here we are. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the impact. 16.1. I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. This is the timing where, remember uh, in a previous session, I think it was last week or the week before, we saw that God more or less locks himself up in the temple. And for 30 days, I don't want to go into that right now, but for 30 days, he's in the temple and the wrath of God is filling the temple. It says that no one could enter there until the wrath of God is is, uh, done being poured out. 
So for 30 days, that's what's going on. Here's God saying, I mean, either him or, or one of the agents on his behalf, saying, go pour out God's wrath now. It's time to start pouring it out. There's been a, a kink in the hose, and now it's time to release. It's time to let out the wrath of God. And so that's what's going on. And a loud voice from heaven is what uh, declares it. These uh, first four bowls are poured out directly on the elements. And furthermore, they're poured out in fullness. I want you to picture that the idea of a bowl, just uh, for the sake of our, you know, kind of trying to scale things a little bit. It's not a perfect picture, but imagine a, the biggest mixing bowl you've ever seen. And then you're going to go out to a little ant mound out in the backyard. Okay? And you've got scalding, hot, boiling water, maybe even blood is a better picture than this one. Kind of gross. Got a boiling pile, uh, uh, cauldron of hot water, you know, and you're going to go out. And the idea is that when this is being poured out, this bowl is being poured out on the earth, it just is like a sweeping storm. It's just overwhelming. Just imagine how that giant, you know, bowl being poured out on that little ant mound. It just completely decimate the ant mound. I mean, just completely destroy it. And like the ant mound, it's not only just that the ant mound is, uh, is uh, wiped out, but there's probably a hole left where you put that thing. You kind of want to picture that idea. We're talking about God's wrath in concentrate. You guys ever buy concentrated orange juice? You add water to it concentrated God wrath in a bowl. That's what we're looking at here. And they're poured out on the elements, on the land, on the sea, rivers, uh, streams, on the sun. They're poured out in concentrated ways. It's concentrated judgment. And so you just kind of want to picture that because unlike the trumpets and unlike the seals, those two judgment series were definitely initiating judgments. And so is, are these bowls. These bowls are initiating judgments. But when you blow a trumpet, it's not necessarily that the blast of the trumpet is what's causing the problem. When the seal was opened, it's not exactly the seal being opened that everybody's like terrified of paper, you know, being opened up. It's what's happening inside the content. But these bowls, there's a connection point between the judgments that are happening and the actual pouring out of the wrath of God uh, at the same time. It's, it's part of the judgment. It is methodical. This is a forethought. Formerly, these same judgments, we're talking about you know, blood and the water and, and uh, stuff of that nature. Formerly, these judgments were occurring, but they were occurring in a, uh, a limited capacity during the trumpets. When we read the trumpet judgments, there are many similarities between the trumpets and the bowls. But before, when it was trumpets, it was partial. Now it's fullness. This is now all the way, it's a full deluge. It's a really intense uh, thing that we're looking at. Now, I want to talk about the three different groups here uh, that we've got that are uh, on the earth right before this, at this time, and right after this, okay? First of all, you've got those that are going to be, uh, that these judgments are aimed specifically at, and that is those that have got the wrath of God assigned to them, those that have taken the mark of the beast, Second, you've got the church, will have, which will have just been caught up to meet the Lord in the air at the last trumpet. Remember, we're looking at bowl one tonight, bowl one, two, three, four. Well, right before bowl one is trumpet seven, because the 21 judgments, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, they go in order. Seven plus seven plus seven is 21. 
Well, we just got done with judgment 14, which is the last trumpet, and that's the rapture of the church. So you've got the church just got raptured. Then you've got the, uh, the Antichrist worshipers that are filling the earth. And then you've also got this third group of people, which I just encourage you to begin to uh, get your head wrapped around this third group of people because the millennium doesn't make any sense. I just want to say that again. The thousand-year reign of Christ doesn't make any sense without this third group of people. Group one, the church, raptured. Group two, the, those that have got the wrath of God assigned to them, they're the worshipers of the Antichrist. That's group two. But there's a third group that are referred to sometimes as those who remain or those who are left or the survivors. Those, that's language that is used several times in the word to describe those that didn't take the mark of the beast and they also didn't give their life to Jesus. They're survivors. Man, these are, the mo- these are the toughest dudes and gals ever. They survived everything. I mean, the stories that they will have to tell of surviving will, I mean, totally trump whatever uh, you know, mystery show you ever saw about how somebody survived that car accident or that fall from a plane or whatever. These guys and gals will have the craziest survival stories ever, and they are the ones that reboot humanity on planet Earth in the millennial uh, reign of Christ. So if you don't know about that group, this is a very important uh, interpretive key because the millennium doesn't make any sense because the millennium, all the passages about the millennium, or many of them, keep talking about humans doing stuff on the earth and they're not resurrected and, they're, and they're, they're not in heaven yet. They're on the earth and they're doing things. Who is that? It's these people that survive and their offspring. So I just uh, gave you that more or less there. I gave you the survivors there in part E, the church that's caught up in part F, and then the, uh, the ones that have got the mark of the beast in part G, and it's limited impact because those that have got the mark of the beast, these have the wrath of God assigned to them. That is just like the most horrifying idea ever. What's your designation? Oh, I'm, I'm wrath assigned. You're like, that is like the worst thing ever. These are those that have got the wrath of God assigned, connected to them. Look at here. It says in uh, Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Jeremiah 30 says, see the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a driving wind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The wrath of God that is being poured out, go pour out my wrath, go pour out my wrath, go pour out the seven bowls. It's waited for this moment in time when bowl one would be poured out, followed by bowl two, three, four, five, six, seven. This is the wrath of God that's been stored up. It bursts out like a swirling wind down on the heads of the wicked. This is, I mean, I'm telling you right now, Jeremiah 30, verse 23, we just read that verse. That verse has many uh, levels and layers of significance, but none so significant as its fullness, which is fulfilled in the pouring out of the bowls of wrath at the end of the age. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's look at the first four bowls. And again, we'll cover bowl five, six, and seven in future sessions. But right now, let's just look at bowl one, bottom of page two. I'm going to read uh, each bowl. I'll read the passage so we can kind of get our head in it, and then we'll look at the details. Bottom of page two, Revelation 16, verse two. The first angel went out, and he poured out his bowl on the land. 
and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. First point I want to make is it's poured out on the land. This, this is actually important because it's causing an impact on the land. You know, when you look at the parallel judgment that happened in the book of Exodus and uh, what happened there, it said that, uh, that uh, dust came up from the earth the, the dirt was struck and the dust came up in the air and then became something. It became part of the plague of God. It became, you know, gnats in that scenario or flies. I can't remember which one. But it became one of the two up in the air. But here's the point. There's an impact of this bowl being poured out on land and then suddenly, as a result of that, painful festering sores getting on, on people. I'll just tell you, uh, one of the most remarkable things I have ever witnessed with my eyes was some months ago, the, the sky in DFW had a red hue to it during the middle of the day. And it wasn't from smoke. It was from dust particles from Africa, from the Sahara Desert. Now, that is one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in my life. I was like, why is the sky red today? I Googled it, and it, the, one of the most massive dust storms carried the Sahara dirt up into the atmosphere, carried it all the way across the ocean, and our sky in North Texas was red from it. I was shocked by it. I, got, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. And apparently, this happens periodically. Well... Here's an example of dust being stirred up that's now able to be carried across thousands of miles. It's just crazy. I think there's some connection here when this bowl is poured out on the land specifically, and specifically that we've got the reference point of what happened in the Exodus when the ground was struck and the dust came up into the air and then became something else other than dust. I think what we're looking at here is a very similar detail. And now that dust goes up, however it winds up going up. Somehow or the other, in relationship to the bull of wrath being poured out, it says, and then painful, or some translations say festering sores, either one of those is bad, broke out on the people. So you, whatever you believe about what's going on in this bowl, you've got to connect the bowl being poured out on the dirt connected to painful sores breaking out on human skin, okay? So that's, that's the connection point there. It's a pretty painful thought process. Exclusively, it says, for those that have taken the mark of the beast. This is one of those times, the book of Revelation and end times in general doesn't need to say, and this judgment was only for those that took the mark of the beast. And this judgment was only for those that took the mark of the beast. It doesn't need to say it every time because it says it several times. And it would be redundant and actually a waste of page uh, to keep saying it over and over and over. But the bowls of wrath are assigned to those that have the wrath of God and those that have taken the mark of the beast to worship the Antichrist. Okay? Now, everybody else is going to be uh, impacted by them, but I believe, and this is just a, a me thing, I don't think that these judgments are going to be poured out and aimed at those that survive. Remember those? There's that third group. Because this verse says specifically, those that survive won't get sores on their skin, even though the bowl of wrath is going to touch everybody across the whole planet that's taken the mark of the beast. In every nation, in every island, in every everywhere, those that have taken the mark of the beast, which will be the majority of the human race at that point, because the church has already been raptured, 
The majority of the human race is going to get sores on their arms, but not those that haven't taken the mark of the beast. So that, to me, is like the most overt way you could possibly say that. Now, there's still going to be impact from it. I mean, when the water's turned to blood, whether you got the mark or not, you're looking at that water and it's still blood. Okay? Let's keep going. The side effects of the sores. I just... You can look at these a little bit later and when you got a little bit more time, but these are going to be some really layered impacts. When everybody's got these sores, everybody being a slight exaggeration, but not much, there is going to be deep resentment against those that don't have sores. Can you just imagine? You're one of the dudes, you've not taken the mark of the beast, you've somehow been, you've been able to survive and you know, not do this and not do that. You didn't get saved either. Now everybody's got these sores and you're walking around and you're like, okay... They're going to be so mad at that guy. There's going to be resentment. That's just a side effect. Sleeplessness. Man. Have you ever had like a really bad burn? I don't mean a sunburn. I mean like a burn from a, a fire. You picked up something, whatever. It hurts. It's hard to sleep. Imagine festering sores all over the body. They're going to have a really hard time sleeping at night. But when you don't sleep, that causes more problems. Their skin is going to stick to their clothes. Well, that's gross, but that's real. That's going to be real. It's just going to be gnarly. The spread of the disease. I mean, that's just whatever it is that's on their skin. It doesn't say it outright that it's contagious, but it kind of sounds like it. And not only that, so many of the uh, so much of the uh, the law was a uh, was pro, uh, outlining what to do with a infectious skin disease and what to do when a skin disease was not infectious. I just think we're going to go all the way back to you know Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I think we're going to be dealing with infectious skin diseases here. I think part of the reason it's such a problem is it's on your arm and now it's on your leg and now it's on your back and now it's on your friend. I mean, I just think that it's going to be a real issue. <clears throat> the spread of the disease. And then with all that nauseating yuck smell, it's going to attract bugs. You're going to have flies and gnats and <clears throat> it's going to be really gross. Rise in tensions as a result of this, increase violence. <clears throat> I know it sounds like a really dumb thing to put on a list with all that intense stuff. But when people have got sores and they're not sleeping and they're trying to, you know, bandage their wounds and stuff, you're going to have a decrease in productivity. People are not going to be real useful at their job, even at their Antichrist job. All the dudes that show up for Antichrist work that day are going to be significantly less efficient at whatever their job is. Second bowl, C, <clears throat> turning to blood. <clears throat> Revelation 16, verse 3. Second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. And it turned to blood like that of a dead person. And every living thing in the sea died. The oceans turned to blood. This is, this is not a metaphor. I just want us to, to get... I, I had a little small piece of revelation as I was studying going over this today. I think part of the reason that we can count on this being real blood is how calculated God has been in how long he waits to release this blood judgment. And I think that the blood is equivalent in some way to the amount of blood that has been shed and to the amount of blood that is required. 
I think that in some sort of calculation, this, I mean, I'm for sure this is real blood. It's not red water. It's not a red algae. It's not rust in the water. All of those things are just ignoring the text. And I don't know how else to say it. it, it's, it we, we don't have permission to just make the Bible mean whatever we want it to mean. If it says it turns to blood, we shouldn't be trying to make it turn into something else. But anyway, I think there's a connection between all of the historical blood that's been shed, all, I mean, whether, whether righteous or unrighteous. I mean, God cares when people murder even bad people. I mean, he, he doesn't like murder. He hates murder. And so it's like, man, that's, that's something that I think has been calculated. And this blood that's being poured out, I think it is in some way congruent to that idea. Now, who knows what that looks like and how all that works. I don't have that part figured out. But here's what I do know. When all the oceans, seven of them, it's really just one big puddle of water, really. When the one ocean that's, that we've labeled seven because we're funny like that, when the one ocean all turns to blood, everything in it dies. Everything. 100% of everything dies. The coral reefs that are alive, they die. Everything dies. Every fish and shrimp and everything else that's horrifying. When that happens, that will really eliminate a significant amount of the food supply. Will also create a tremendous smell of death. I don't like the smell of blood, but I hate the smell of death. You ever, you ever walk past an alley or something, you're like, oh, what died down there? And you really mean it because something died down there. Because a dead thing smells different than a rotting fruit. A dead thing smells different than anything. There will be, everything in the sea will die. And the way that that works most of the time, if you've ever seen a mass uh, fish kill, when they die off because there's not enough oxygen in the water, it seems to happen a good bit these days, they all go belly up. So it's not like the dead thing just uh, goes to the bottom of the ocean. I imagine some of it does, but not most of it. Most of it goes belly up, and now it's up on the top of the water, and the tides are bringing now all of those dead things up on every beach in the world. And it is going to fill the earth with the stench of death. And that, that might be the worst part. I mean, that's, the stench of death will fill the earth because trillions or quadrillions I bet it's quadrillions I bet quadrillions of things will die in that sea and they will all wash up on the shores dead and they will stink and don't forget in a minute the sun's going to get extra hot yeah that part this blood carries over into the millennium I just this part is actually it's cool because of the solution it's not cool because of the problem but this blood problem, this happens right as Jesus is marching back. The bowls of God's wrath are happening during the Jesus procession where he's coming to the earth and he's going to set up shop in Jerusalem. It's going to take him 30 days. It's the same 30 days that these bowls are being poured out. It's that same time frame. So we're talking about some, you know, weeks or something before Jesus actually starts being king in Jerusalem for real in real life, like he's there doing it. This happens right before that. It creates the most massive problem, which he has the most incredible solution to. I just want us to understand that sea of blood 
is going to stay blood until something happens equally supernatural. That water is now not water, it's blood. And so that's really, really gross, and Jesus has a plan, and the plan is the most astounding thing ever. Let's read some of these verses. Ezekiel 47, 1, and then 8 and 9. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. This is Ezekiel seeing a future, a vision of the future of the Messiah sitting on his throne in the millennial age, seeing Jesus. He brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. Just so you know, if you can kind of picture it, Israel and where Jerusalem is, if you go east far enough, you hit ocean. Okay? It's not actually that far. This water flows towards the eastern region, and it goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. See, we always thought it was salt water a minute ago. Now it's, now it's fresh water. No, it wasn't. It was blood a minute ago. And now it becomes fresh water. It went from blood to fresh water. And swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh so that the river flows, so that where the river flows, everything will live. Previously, it was salt water. Now it becomes blood. Now the river of, of the living water of, uh, of the the water of life, flows into it and makes what was previously the ocean, makes it now fresh water. And furthermore, it says living creatures will team forth everywhere. See, the ocean will be re-oceaned, re-lived, re-inhabited, re-produced. You know, there will be life again from the river of the water of life coming out of the throne of God into the ocean that fixes the blood problem. This is one of the most profound things in the entire uh, end time storyline, in my opinion. It is profound because you just imagine, oh, poor Jesus taking his throne. He's like, man, sure wish we had a better planet for you to take over. This one's kind of jacked up. I mean, all the water's blood. He's like, nah, I know how to do with this. I jacked that water up. It was me. I got a plan. And the river of the water of life flows out of the throne of God. Pretty awesome. All right, third bowl. Let's read here. This is where the streams and the drinking water is now touched. Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Revelation 16, 4 through 7. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one, who, you who are and who were, for they've shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you've given them blood to drink as they deserve. You see the connection? See the they shed your, the blood of yours, so you gave them blood to drink. And again, I just think somewhere we're going to look at the math when it's all said and done, and we're going to go, yep, makes sense. Not just the fact, we're going to look at the math, and we're going to go, how many ounces of blood were spilled over the years, and how many, you know, I don't know what all that looks like, but somewhere we're going to look at that and go, man, that, that was actually perfect, God. You had all that thought out in a real way. And I heard the altar respond, 
Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now, this is a total loss of fresh water supply. When the ocean went blood, that killed off a bajillion living animals and things, okay? When the fresh water gets touched, and I just want to make sure we understand this, streams, it's, it's flowing water that has a source, okay? So flowing water that has a source, but then you're like, okay, well, good, at least we have the, the springs. He says, no, I'm turning those to blood too. So whether the source is something on earth, you thought those mountain caps melting were producing blood. I'm going to turn the mountain caps to blood, or at least the river, okay? I was thinking about that today. I was like, it would be more terrifying if you looked at the Rockies and all of a sudden the caps were red. It was like, that would be horrifying. I don't know that it's going to do that. It doesn't say that. It does say that the rivers that are going to come out of that are going to get turned to blood. It also says the, the springs that are coming up out of the ground are blood. There's nowhere to go for fresh water. Now, this starts, starts a time clock because human life cannot exist without fresh water for very long. And so it just so happens, this is bowl three in seven bowls, and we're eking into the 30 days of judgment as Jesus is doing his procession. So before this 30 days is up, we've still got four more bowls. We don't know exactly how much time that is. Is it weeks or days? Probably a few weeks, but we don't exactly know. So this, is, this starts a time clock that is very concerning. It's a total loss of fresh water. Now, the Antichrist troops need to drink water. The Antichrist government needs to drink water. Everybody needs to drink water. And there's no more water. This is a real problem. I mean, this will be a way bigger deal than when the toilet paper was out at the grocery store. Okay? I mean, this is nobody can buy or find water. <laughs> it's really intense. And now there is reduced options for sustaining life. This really starts to cut in. Okay? The effects of this. Men are going to die. There will be total despair. And this is a severe and instant contrast. Just thinking about the lakes, if you, if you tie in, especially the oceans too. All the beaches. Like, it's summertime. We've got people out right now that are at the beach. I mean, that's kind of a normal thing. People go to beaches. People, we're next weekend going to go to a lake. We like waterfront stuff. We like to be around water. People love rivers and all that kind of stuff. The contrast is going to be unbelievable. Wasn't this a beautiful lake yesterday? And now it's blood. I mean, wasn't this a great shoreline yesterday? And now there's a dead whale. Plus 92,000 extra dead whales on the same beach. I mean, it's like... It is a crazy, yucky contrast of the things that we celebrate, not the only things, but some of the places we celebrate the most. Niagara Falls. Niagara blood. I mean, there's, this is like, whoa! All I'm saying is somebody needs to get some pictures because we've only got a brief window of how long it looks that way, okay? So we just need somebody. Hang on to your cameras real tight when you get lifted up, okay? Because I want some pictures, all right? It's going to be intense. So let's go to the uh, fourth bowl here. Revelation 16, 8 through 9, the fourth angel. This is intense heat plus. Revelation 16, 8 through 9. Fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. 
And the sun is now given some capacities it's never been given before, ever. It's never had a bowl of wrath touch it before. Now the sun, for the first time, is allowed to scorch people with fire. Oh, man. Surely that just means it's going to be hot. No, that's the second thing that happens. The first thing that happens is actual scorching with fire. And not only that, it says people. It doesn't say it scorched the earth. It says it scorched people with fire. The sun, which is very far away last time I checked, somehow has some solar flares or something. This is impossible unless a bowl of God's wrath, which he's been thinking about from the beginning of time and before, is poured out on it. But if you pour out a bowl of wrath on a sun, you wind up with very interesting ramifications, kind of like when you pour out a bowl of wrath on an ocean. It does things to the ocean that can't be done. It does things to the sun that can't be done. This gives us two crazy things. First, scorches people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent. First, scorched people with fire. Second, seared by intense heat. It's two different things. Now, I, I just went and... And looked. I was trying to, you know, picture, you know, what does this look like? What is? I wanted to look at the word seer because I wanted to kind of get a picture. And it's this idea of like a a flash surface burn, like it just like a real quick, almost like a you know napalm explosion kind of a thing. It's like, like just you know brings just this this searing heat or whatever across the land. So you've got this searing heat that is going to wind up really causing people problems. Then you've got scorching fire that's also going to be really causing people problems. This is really intense. The bowl is poured out on the sun. It's like, man, if you could think of anything that you don't want that bowl to touch, you don't want it to be the giant hot ball of flaming gas. Like, please don't pour out anything on that and make that angry. And that's what God does. He says, nope, I'm going for the sun. I'm going to teach you people something. The sun is empowered to scorch. We don't know exactly what that will look like, but I did give you several verses that talk about God's uh, uh, power and capacity over flaming fire, over, over scorching uh, you know, fire from the sun and other places described as like the wrath of God bursting forth in fire in various ways. So I gave you a few verses there. You're welcome to look at that later. And then also seared by the intense heat. Okay, well, we're going to have quite a good conversation tonight, I'm sure. All right, Andy, you guys got your question? Caitlin, you guys got yours? Okay, Luke Cooper, you guys got your question? Okay, all right, good. Okay, well, uh, I'll do my best to repeat the question so that those that are joining online or those that watch or listen to this later can hear your question. Um, why don't we uh, start over here, John Stokes. Oh, John's, maybe, yep, you ready? Is that okay? What was your question? So the question is, all right, so all the water's going to become blood. What about you tell all your resistor friends, uh, you know, that won't give their life to Jesus but haven't taken the mark of the beast yet. You tell them, listen, you want to store up a lot of bottled water in your basement because there's not going to be access anymore. I just think that the plagues of Egypt are there for a reason in order for us to reference them. When the blood, when the Nile was turned to blood, it says this. 
Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. Now, just so you know, they didn't have bottles of water. They had wooden buckets and stone jars. So the way they were bottling their water, if you will, was right there. And so when the Nile became blood, it wasn't just the Nile. It was all the water anywhere that water was. And so I think that probably if you do convince any of your resistor buddies to uh, store up that water, they're just going to have a really ugly mess in their basement. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, think that there's a way out of that. Um, so, uh, okay, second question, John, quick. So how does this work related to, what's that? The only part of blood that would evaporate? The water that's in it. But then, then you wind up with just like really, really thick yuck, right? Yeah, it's... Anyway, short version is gross. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but gross. Uh, all right, Kaylin, y'all's question. Revelation. I mean, I, I actually appreciate the care to the detail. <laughs> Revelation 16, verse 6 says, They've shed the blood of your servants and prophets. So you've given them blood to drink as they deserve. The question was, is it that exact blood? Is it, if that prophet dies, or if that Caitlin dies a martyr, <laughs> and her blood is shed... Does that blood make it into this equation, specifically that blood? Um, it doesn't say that. It doesn't make it clear that that's impossible, but it doesn't say that exactly. And that's kind of part of what I was alluding to earlier when I was saying, we're going to look at the math, and we're going to go, Justin True, and we're going to go, man, you were really calculated in this. And Caitlin's question is, if she dies a martyr... Can she find her blood DNA out there in the ocean somewhere? Ask the ocean. When, when it all goes down, you go find your blood out there. Coagulated as it might be, you just go ahead and do that. I'm, it's not going to be on the top of my priority list, but maybe. May, I, I am confident that God is going to have good answers to these questions, not just answers. Like, if it is, then it's, it is for reasons. If it isn't, then it isn't for reasons. And, and I, I, don't, I don't know how that will work. Uh, okay, Andy? On bowl four? Are you, is, this, is this a redhead joke? I feel like he's taking shots. At us Auburns. <laughs> he wanted to know if the fair-skinned folk wind up getting a double portion from that hot sun. I'm sure we will, just like we do in this age. <laughs> so uh, the resistors, how do they last three weeks with no water? It's really kind of what it gets down to when all the fresh water turns to blood. Um, I think that there's going to be some measure of drawing them, uh, you know, in ways that 
They're going to experience it as God. I mean, they're all... Let, let, let me make a real point, a real clear point about the resistors. This is another really crucial point to try to understand this group. We're told in Revelation 13, 100% of humanity will take the mark of the beast except those whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What does that mean? These resistors are for sure going to get saved. They are for sure going to get saved. So God knows that, and he's, part, he's writing their story. They're not saved when the rapture happens, but I'm just saying, if you were wondering if these Christians were real, if they were legit, and then all of a sudden they're all like taking flight, you're probably like, okay, I'm in. And God's like, well, that's cute. <laughs> but you're too late. <laughs> so we'll deal with that in a minute. I got some bowls to pour out. Uh, just, But I just imagine how many people are going to be responsive to like God that haven't taken the mark of the beast when they witness the rapture. But now they can't be raptured, but they can be saved. And so... I mean, it's, it's very uh, likely there will be Christians during the bowls. They're just all baby Christians that got saved five minutes ago or last week or today. And so I think that the Lord will absolutely be giving, you know, paths and ways and leadings and stuff. I don't think it's necessarily every single resistor on day one, but enough of them that are able to get water miraculously, you know, produce water or whatever. You know, they grew up in Sunday school and they know the Moses stories and stuff. And now they're like, well, now's as good a time as ever to have faith. I got saved two days ago. Lord, in Jesus' name, turn that thing into water. And boom, there's water. I mean, so it seems likely to me that the Lord is going to be taking care of the resistors in a way that they don't all die. And if it really is three weeks or four or whatever, uh, that they don't have water, then they would die uh, without water. So it seems likely to me that there will be some measure of God's supernatural intervention for the resistors. Now, whatever that looks like, I just painted a scenario or two, and maybe I'm totally off base, but I think I'm, I'm on related to God providing for those resistors uh, drinking water somewhere, somehow, by supernatural uh, means. Okay, Luke. So the, the question was, uh, in, in Revelation 16, uh, verse 6, or, well, verse 5, you're just in these judgments, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets. So the they is obviously not the resistors. The they is the entire Antichrist system that has been uh, the most crazy number of martyrdom, you know, sort of scenario ever. So the, the thought process is, so... Is there room there? Because it says they have shed your blood, so you've given them blood to drink. Is the is is there room there to say so? Therefore, the water that's near the resistor, or the water that's in the pantry of the resistor, or the water that's you know whatever, wouldn't be turned to blood. I, I don't think so, and the reason is because before it gives us that detail, it tells us that the rivers and the springs of water are going to be turned to blood. And so you just, if you're a resistor and you've got a camp of resistors and there's a hundred of you and you're by a river, that river is doomed to turn to blood because Revelation chapter 16 verse 4 says that it will. So 
So that, I mean, but if you're like, okay, well, there's, you know, 10 of us in a family and we're resistors and we've got a private ranch and we've got a spring of water on our private ranch. Is it going to be okay? No, because it says right here in Revelation 16, 4, that spring is doomed to become blood. So I think that we're probably looking more at the Lord doing miracles of redemption and turning blood back into water, like he's going to be doing with the, the, uh, the river of the water of life, than we are uh, water... Uh, you know, not being uh, uh, turned into blood, you know, initially. And so, um, so anyway, so that's, that's just a thought. Great questions. These, these questions tonight, I, I want to give you some props, were very meticulously uh, uh, crafted according to Bible ideas. And I just want to tell you, that's what theologians do. Like that's what, when you've got the word of God in you and you're, you know the word well enough to not ask uh, baby questions, you've got some clarity. It's proof that you are understanding the subject matter. And so this is a giant win for me that you're asking such nuanced questions uh, because you, you wouldn't be able to do that if you weren't understanding the material. And so that's awesome. A giant win. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.